There are two little boys in my life that are very special to me. And occasionally, uh, just out of the blue, they'll say, Papa or Grandma, did you know I love you? Well, that's always good to hear. I know they're not wanting anything. They're not teenagers. So it's coming from their heart. They say that because they want me to know that they love me. God tells us he loves us because he wants us to know that he loves us. Do you think that I have a different outlook on life because my grandkids say I love you? Do you think that that has an impact on my life and how I live it in their presence? Do you think that I live a different way because I know that they love me. The same question could be asked about our relationship with God. God says the same thing in different words, but he wants us to know that he loves us. And because he loves us, we should behave in a different way. We should act different in this life and we should show our love to him. Just like I try to show my love to my grandchildren, we need to show our love to God. The last couple of weeks, I mean, before that, we talked about sin and what it does to us and what God has done so that you and I can have salvation, so that we can be redeemed, so that we can be saved. We looked at hell as a motivation to help us to see that there's punishment for those who don't always do what God wants us to do. We've looked at heaven as another way of God's motivation to help us by offering the reward and telling us what's in store for us if we're faithful to him. We looked at that example also. But I said that we were going to look at God's love because ultimately that is the major motivation. That should be the number one priority in our life, that we serve God because we love him. And he has certainly told us, showed us and demonstrated to us in his word that he loves each and every single one of us as an individual. And that's really amazing when you think about it. With all the things that God has to do and to keep charge of, he loves you. He loves me. And I hope that that has an impact on your life. And I hope that that has an impact on each and every one of us. Because I know that God loves us and cares for us, and he's demonstrated that in so many different ways. And so this morning, I want us to look and notice what God's love can do and what it does in many different ways. And one of those things is we can see his love in the creation, in nature. Who can live anywhere on this planet and not see God's love on display? We look at all the things that God has blessed us with. And David made it, I think says it really in a way that we could never think of, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show his handiwork. All of those things that are out there are the handiwork of God. You look at a sunset, you look at a sunrise, you look at mountains, you look at streams, you look at the oceans, you look at all those things, and they are all God's handiwork. 
And when I talk about heaven, imagine we see the handiwork of God here. Imagine the place that he's prepared for those who are faithful to him. You see, God made everything in nature, and he created it for us and for our enjoyment. He made all of those things, and then he created man. And man is the crown of that creation. And so everything that you see in nature, God put there for us, for our enjoyment, for our pleasure. And he provides every single thing that we need, the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, the food that we eat, the sunshine, the sky, the trees, the flowers, all of those things God has given to us. You think about the beauties of nature. We look out on the way in this morning, we can see that the trees are already turning colors. And can there be a more beautiful display from God's creation than fall of the year when all the trees are covered in many vibrant colors? And it won't be long till those leaves fall off the trees. And they'll be barren. And can you think of a better picture, a more beautiful picture, than getting up some morning and seeing a snowfall and then hanging in the trees and covering the ground? Yeah, we got to shovel it. We don't like that part. But it looks beautiful, doesn't it? That's God's creation. And he does that for you and me. And then in the spring, the flowers will bloom. In the summertime, we'll enjoy all of those things that God has given to us. David said in Psalm chapter 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's no need to have want because God supplies everything that we need in this world. In Psalm chapter 33, verse 5, the psalmist writes, The earth is full of the goodness of God. Look around and you can see that goodness. In James chapter 1 and verse 17, Every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow or turning. All these good things that God has provided in nature are there for us. Brethren, when we feel unhappy, when we start to feel miserable, when we start to want to complain and gripe about how life's going, take a step outside and just look at God's creation. We live in a world that's filled with God's love, mercy, goodness, and grace. And really, what do we have to complain about? Even in the tough times, we can see God's love, and that should compel us to serve Him. We can see His love also demonstrated in humanity. We are created in His image. No other part of His creation was made in the image of God, just human beings who created in His image. And that means that we have a spirit inside of us, a soul. And we're going to live forever. We are eternal beings. Secondly, we are created with a free will. That means that we are free moral agents. We have the ability to choose to serve God or be disobedient to Him. In First John chapter 4, verses 8 and 16, it says, God is love. And because He is love, He created us with a free will. And I'm glad that God did not create us like robots. 
to where he winds us up and off we go and we do exactly what he wants us to do. But we have an opportunity and the ability to choose whether or not we serve God. And because God is love, he desires to be loved. And he made us capable of responding to him and his love. Think about all the things that he's given us. We can choose to love him, or we can choose to demonstrate our love through our obedience to him. And that's really what First Corinthians 13 chapter is talking about. Our love moves us. It motivates us to serve God. Yeah, we talked about hell and punishment. We talked about heaven and reward. We see that sometimes in our as we deal with our children. There's times that we punish them. Sometimes that we offer them a reward. But isn't it wonderful when your children grow to a point where they do what you want them to do? They live a good life. They're doing what's right because they love you. That's exactly what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to serve him because we love him. In fact, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Third point is he's placed our soul, our spirit, inside of an amazing body. You think about your body. You look in the mirror and you say, well, it's not so amazing. Uh, You know, I don't really like it. We can always find something wrong with it. But think about this body that God has given to us. David said in Psalms 139, verse 14, I will praise thee. But why would David want to praise God? Because he goes on to say, For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. David realized what kind of body God had given to him. And God created our bodies in such a way that we that it can give us pleasure and satisfaction. Think about our abilities. Think about all the things that this body can do. It can see and it can hear. It can smell. It can feel. It can taste. It can love. It can imagine. Imagine what life would be. Imagine what life would be without an imagination. Think about how blessed we are that we can imagine and that we can have faith, that we can trust God, that He, that we can believe what he says and we put it into action in our life, that that's faith in action. And the ability that we have to communicate, what a blessing it is. You see, sometimes we don't appreciate those blessings. We don't appreciate our sight until we can't see or we our ability to walk until we can't walk. We don't appreciate the things that we can do that God has blessed us with until they're taken away from us. Then we start to appreciate them. Maybe we should sit back and think about all the blessings that God has given us just in our physical body. He's given us emotions. All of those joys are gifts from God. We can have the ability for anger and love, passion, Truly, we are wonderfully and marvelously made. In 1 John chapter 4, and verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Who among us would not agree that we rely on God's love for sustaining who we are and what we are? You think about God's love. 
in all the things that he's provided for us. In fact, Paul says in Acts chapter 17, verse 8, 28, For in him we live and move and have our being. Now we know that that took place on Mars Hill where Paul had walked through the city and he saw all these idols to the unknown gods. And Paul realizes that those unknown, or uh, saw all these idols to the gods that they worship. And Paul realized that those gods were nothing, but he saw an idol to the unknown God. And that's who he wanted to talk about because God is the only God. All of those gods that they were worshiping weren't real. And Paul is telling them that the God that they ignorantly worshipped was it was in that God, in God that we worship, that we live and move and have our being. Think about all the blessings that God has provided for us. Perhaps the greatest one is the thought of his love as it concerns the blessings that we have through Jesus Christ. John chapter 3 and verse 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, it tells us that all spiritual blessings are found in Christ Jesus. We know from the scripture, Galatians chapter 3, that it tells us that we're baptized into Christ. That's how we get into Christ. We know in Romans chapter 6 that we see a picture of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus represented in our baptism. That we go down in that watery grave, we come up out of that watery grave a new creature. So we're baptized into his death and we come up a new person. And so our spiritual blessings are in Christ. Now, there's a lot of people that are blessed by God physically. The sun shines, the rain comes, harvest time, all of those things. Everybody receives a physical blessing from God. But not everyone is going to have spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings are available to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I have to be baptized into his body to get into Christ. And what a blessing it is to know that God has made a way for that to happen. And it's in Christ that we have the forgiveness of sin. It's in Christ that we have redemption. It's in Christ that we have no fear of the judgment. We don't have to be afraid of that day. We can look forward to that day, in fact, if we've lived our faithful life to him. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. We have the forgiveness of sin because of what? Jesus did on that cross because of God's grace. That's part of that plan. God says God's grace gives us that plan that you and I can be obedient to to have those forgiveness of sin, to have that redemption, to have that home in heaven. By grace, Paul is saying that our redemption, our forgiveness is due to God's love and mercy. We have what we have available to us because of God's goodness. Not because of your goodness or my goodness, but because of God's goodness. Here's something else. In Christ we have God's divine providence continually at work in our behalf. That may be something that we don't always think about or appreciate, and sometimes very hard to prove that God is working behind the scenes to help us, but he is. Because we have faith in what Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according 
to his purpose. And so God can make bad or good things out of bad things. He can work behind the scenes to help us. And sometimes it's hard to prove. But we have to trust God. That through his providence, through natural laws, that he can make things happen to our benefit. God could have wound us up, wound up this universe, and set it in motion. And left it to see what happens. In fact, I'm sure that there are some out there that believe that that's exactly what may have happened. But God tells us and shows us every day about his love that he has for you and me. The Bible teaches us that because of God's love, he created the world, he created us, but then he didn't just leave us. He follows it with constant care. Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, having all, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God is at work in our lives. Peter tells us that we can cast our cares upon him for he careth for us. Jesus said that not a sparrow falls to the ground without our Heavenly Father taking notice, and we are of more value than they are. So think about what God is telling us. He is saying, guess what? Do you know I love you? That's what God's telling us. Does it have an impact on your life? It should. In Hebrews chapter 13, beginning of verse 20, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd and his sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, in whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God just didn't wind us up and leave us. God is there every day to care for you and me and to help us in our everyday life. Here's another blessing that we have in Christ. We have the promise of eternal life in heaven. Think about Paul when he was about ready to be put to death. In Second Timothy chapter 4, he says that he fought a good fight, finished the course, kept the faith. And here's what I want you to listen to, what he says in verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. What's he saying? He's saying that that crown of life, that victory, can be yours and mine. God loves us, and he wants us to know that we can be saved. Oh, how true it is. When you think of those words that Jesus spoke in John 3.16, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Who would ever dare to deny that God loves us? That that love is expressed by both physical and spiritual blessings. The problem isn't that God is not blessing us. The problem is we're not counting our blessings. It's easy to look at all the things that go wrong in our lives. 
But it's even easier to forget all the good things that happen and all the good blessings that you and I have as Christians because we are in the body of Christ. Now I want us to notice the attributes of God. From Scripture we learn that God is spirit, that God is light, and that God is love. Because God is a spirit, He fills all of heaven and all of earth. God is no visible, has no visible substance unless He Himself decides to manifest Himself in some way. But because He is a spirit, He has no tangible body, He can be omnipresent. He would be limited like you and I are limited if he had a physical body. He would only be able to be in one place at a time. You know, there are times in each of our lives where we need to be over here at this particular time and over here at the same time. And we realize we can't be in both places at the same time. God can be everywhere because God is a spirit. Because he is a spirit, he fills all of heaven and earth. His omnipresence allows him to be anywhere and everywhere he chooses to be. God is not only a spirit, but he is also light. And I believe that when we talk about light, it means that God is represented as ultimately the holy and goodness of God. That's what it's talking about. We talked about it in some of our lessons that have been emailed out over the course of time that God is holy and he expects us to live a holy life. He wants us to be like him, a holy holy people, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And you see in Scripture where it says God cannot sin, that God cannot even be tempted with sin, and that God does not tempt anyone else with sin. God cannot abide where sin is located. God and sin are mutually exclusive. God is absolutely holy. It is his nature. And so not only is God a spirit, not only is God light, but God is also love. God does not love. God is love. It's all about him. He's love. It's just his being. God, it's his nature. So think about the attributes of God. And what are some of the attributes of God's love? Well, first of all, God is eternal. This is of a necessity because God is eternal, that God is love. And God has no beginning and no end. Therefore, God's love has no beginning or end. In Psalms 90 and verse 2, it says it's from everlasting to everlasting you are God. In Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. So if God is love, and God is from everlasting to everlasting, then God's love is everlasting. God's eternal love can be seen in Romans chapter 8 and verse 39 where Paul contends that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
You know, people can harm us, people can persecute us, people can put us to death, but they can't separate us from the love of God. God still loves us and always will love us. He never stops because God is love. We can also see God is, his love is benevolent. This means that God is concerned with those he loves. God's love is unselfish. God's love is agape love. Not dependent on what you do, but God loves us in spite of what we do. His unselfish concern is for all of mankind without regard to their behavior. His benevolence can be seen in the fact that God loved us before we loved him. He makes the sun to rise on the good and on the evil. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. The Bible tells us that God is benevolent to the birds of the air and the grass of the field. God takes care of them. Sometimes we wonder about God taking care of us. Jesus says if we put him first in his kingdom, we don't have to worry about those things. See what love does? Isn't it important to know that God loves you? Doesn't that affect the way you behave your life and return? How much more do you suppose if he's benevolent to the birds and the grass, how much more do you think he cares about you and me? I think that is, you can ultimately see his love in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. And he says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You and I didn't deserve it. Jesus died for you and me. So we see that God's love not only feels sympathy toward us, but his love acts on behalf of our welfare. And God's love acts on our behalf. Indeed, God is benevolent. God is also merciful. We should be thankful that he is merciful. You see, mercy is not getting what we deserve. And believe it or not, all of us deserve a hell. Hell is an eternal result of sin. And it's a natural result because of our sin. But out of his love, God provides a way of escape. In Psalms chapter 136 and verse 1, it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Interesting passage of Scripture there. What does it tell us we're saved by? God's goodness. Not our own white works of righteousness. Oh yes, we're, there's things that we need to do as a Christian, but we can't do those things to earn heaven or to tell God, you have to give it to me. We do those things because we love God. And we want Him to know we love Him. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. How many of us, from time to time, have thought about, do we deserve God's mercy? I know over the course of time that I've been a preacher dealing with people, I've had people that will tell me, I've sinned so bad, God doesn't want me, He doesn't love me, He couldn't forgive me. And then I've had some that's gone to their grave thinking that because they don't want to listen, that God loves them, and yes, He cares, and yes, He is merciful, and I don't believe that there's a, a sin out there that God cannot forgive if we will repent of that sin. And I think that we have examples in the New Testament that help us to understand that. You can look at the Apostle Paul. Before he became a Christian, what did he do? He persecuted the church. He held the coats of those that stoned Stephen. He made havoc of the church, the Scripture says, and he delivered them to be persecuted and put into prison. And he compelled them to blaspheme. He did all kinds of things to hurt the church, but yet God said, I love you, Saul. I love you, and I want you to be saved. And he told him what he had to do. He said, now why tearest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And guess what? When he obeyed, his sin was washed away. That sin of persecuting the church, that sin of holding the coats of Stephen, or those that stoned Stephen, that sin of making havoc of the church, forgiven. I think another example is the example that Jesus gave of the prodigal son in Luke the 15th chapter. In Luke the 15th chapter, we can find there that that son went to his father, and I believe that that father represents the God of heaven, our heavenly father. And the son went to that father, and he said, give me my inheritance. And he went and he took that inheritance, and he went to a faraway place and wasted his substance, wasted his inheritance on a riotous living. It sounds like after his money was all gone, after his possessions were gone, his friends were gone also. And he found himself in a pig pen, and he realized, guess what? This isn't where I want to be. And I want you to listen to his words in Luke chapter 15 and verse 19. Because this is what he says, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. What is he saying? I'm no longer worthy of your love. I'm no no longer worthy of your goodness. I'm no longer worthy of your mercy. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great ways off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatty calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. I want you to think about that. Here's his son. Give me my money. He Off he goes, and he's off in this far country. And here's his father. Where's his father? Sitting on the porch saying, well, when's he coming back? And then when the son's a great ways off or far off distance, did the father sit there and say, well, let's just wait and see what he's got to say when he gets up here. Was he worthy of his father's love? No. 
but his father said he was. And the scripture says here that he ran to meet his son. He ran. Old men don't run. But he ran to meet his son. And restored him to his rightful place. Because God is merciful. God is love. God is gracious. And if we will turn to him, he will forgive us. Aren't you glad God's love is merciful? I am. God is also gracious. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is God's initiative on our behalf. Grace is God doing, supplying something that we cannot do for ourselves. There is no amount of money, no amount of works that could save us. It's only the blood of Christ. It's only what God did for us that makes those things available to us. If mercy is not getting what we deserve, which is the punishment of hell for our sin, grace is getting something that we do not deserve. Heaven is a gift from God for our faith. Don't deserve heaven. All the things that we do, that we've, we've failed to do what God wants us to do, do we deserve heaven? Because of his grace, He's made a way for you and I to have that home in heaven. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6, it says, The Lord passed by before him, proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, had quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And then down to verse 8 he says, For by grace ye are saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is a gift of God. God gives us the plan. plan that he's had from the foundations of the world. He's given you, you and I that plan, that opportunity to have salvation. He says, you've sinned. You've turned against me. We're separated. But here's what I have to offer you so that you can be saved, so that you can make that right. And he tells us that we have to hear his word. We have to believe. We have to repent of our sins, turn away, stop doing those things. We have to confess the name of Christ, and then we must be buried with our Lord in baptism. Yes, we have to do all five of those things in order to accept the grace that he's extended, because that plan is that grace. That he's extended so you and I can have salvation. And yes, he wants us to be faithful. Until this world comes, or until our life comes to an end. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. That grace is available to everyone. We can be thankful for it. You see, God deals with it not on the basis of our worthiness. Not on the basis of our merit. Not on what we deserve, but according to what we need. He deals with us on the basis of his love, his mercy, his goodness, his generosity, and his grace. Now we must know that God's love includes discipline. That there are times in our lives where we're chastened because of our actions. And that's discussed in Hebrews chapter 12. 
beginning of verse 5. You can read those verses yourself. But we know that God chastens those whom he loves. And sometimes we face trials and sometimes we face difficulties that help us to grow. And there are times that we hear the message or we know that God's trying to help us to see the light, but yet we want to continue to rebel. And sometimes as a Christian, that may take the, uh, the, uh, go to the point of withdrawing the fellowship. Because you want people to understand that what they're doing is wrong and that they need to come back to the Lord and that they need to make things right. And in the condition that they're in, they're lost. We see that in First Corinthians, the fifth chapter. We need to understand that God chastens those that he loves. And when we realize that we are having a trial and sometimes we fail, what do we do when we fail? Do we just sit back and quit? No, we get up and we try again. And we try over and over and over and over and over. Why? Because we want, we want to love God. And he loves us. And he's given us that privilege. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7, The trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory by the appearing of Jesus Christ. Yes, there's trials. Yes, there's challenges. Yes, there's difficulties. All of those in living the Christian life. But God is there to help us. And when we fail, we get up. We look at ourselves and we realize what area we need to grow in, and we work on those areas. And when we're victorious, we thank God for helping us because he is there to sustain us. We also know God's love is patient. First, or, <clears throat> Psalm chapter 116 and verse 5, David said, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. Second Peter chapter 3, and verse 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But is long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Notice what Paul or Peter said about God. Not willing that any should perish. He can say, Well, you know, some of you deserve it. You deserve it. you made your bed, now you can lie in it. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And so be thankful that God loves us enough that he's patient with us and how true that is that God's love motivates us to become the people and the person that God wants us to be. You see, his love moves us to an obedient faith. We must know that biblical love is not an emotion. It is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. Biblical love is a verb. It's a way to live. It's action. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So he equates love with doing what God wants us to do. Indeed, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Question is, will you allow God's love to move you to obey Him, to become His child by faith and repentance and confession and New Testament baptism, which is immersion in water for the forgiveness of sin?
We make every effort to continue that walk on a daily basis. You see, I mentioned well in my new series of lessons, the title of that series is Talk is Cheap. Well, we need to live that Christian life instead of just talking about it. And I hope that the love that we see that God has for each one of us as an individual will motivate us to love him in return. This was like those two little boys that tell me, do you know I love you? God has said that to you. Do you know that he loves you? And just like what they say has an impact on me, what God says to us should have an impact on our lives. This morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. You have that opportunity while we stand.